All right. Big Ten play is back. That means another big banter crossover. Uh, I'm Spartan Dog 97 of the Bacon Warrior podcast. We cover MSU football and basketball. And we have on Alec Krauthammel to discuss Rutgers. Alec, welcome. Alec, thank you for uh, joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Should be a good game this weekend. Yeah, so I want to do this off the top. I want to do this first and foremost. There's been a lot of tension between the MSU and Rutgers fan bases over a certain verbiage that our former head coach um, liked to use. So I would just like to take this time off the top as a peace offering to you, to the Rutgers fan base. Chop, chopping, keep chopping, whatever. That's all yours. You can take it all back. You might want to wash it first, but <laughs> you can have it. It's all yours. Well, trust me, I, I know that Greg Shannon loves to just pound it into all of our heads. So I think I think it's gotten plenty of wash ever since uh, ever since Mel Tucker decided to try and use it. Okay. No, but I'm talking like literally like wash it. You don't know where you don't know where it's been. So <laughs> I, 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 you know, I you know, do that thing that uh industrial workers' wives do, you know, strip it with like oh yeah with arm and hammer. Yeah, do that, do that stuff. Um uh Rutgers is uh Rutgers is four and two. Yeah, Rutgers is four and two, but more importantly, they're six and oh against the spread. And the old verbiage, good teams win, great teams cover. Uh, what has kind of been the driving force behind behind this behind this Rutgers team this year uh, in the fourth year of the second uh, Shiano era? Yeah, it's been a lot of just controlling the ball. Another uh, verbiage that Shiano loves is the ball is the program, which means, you know, keep it in our hands as much as possible and take it away from them as much as possible. So they've really flipped the uh, flipped the script in terms of time of possession. It's been a big emphasis especially thanks to Kirk Sharaka, the new offensive coordinator, uh, or I guess new old offense coordinator because he was here for a year. But, yeah, that's been a big part of it. Uh, the defense is t- still growing to become one of the better units, not just in the Big Ten, but in the whole country. Uh, according to the Athletic, they are 10th in the country in stop rate, which is, I think, how they qualify, you know, preventing points and uh, pr- and causing fourth downs. So, um, yeah, it's that. And you know, the offense has just taken a step forward in terms of play calling and execution under Sharaka. So, a lot of that has uh, now granted they haven't played the best teams, but a lot of that has led to this start where, you know, they didn't play great teams last year, but they looked really shaky all pretty much all season. But now they're really starting to settle in and play well, even against teams that, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin, the two losses, they were in the game for most of it. Right. No, absolutely. And and I think, you know, as someone who uh, watched that, that Michigan game, you know, you could see that that Rutgers kind of competed against Michigan in a way that, <laughs> I don't really think they have since since they beat Michigan in 2014. So um, that was definitely an impressive outing. So, you know, going into this game, right, um, you have um, you have an opportunity here to kind of get bull eligible um, here. And then, you know, the, the season kind of ramps up dramatically in terms of difficulty. Um, are you thinking in terms of like just win these two games and then, you know, just just take the lumps the rest of the season, or are you kind of looking, looking, I guess, at a at a bit of a higher ceiling for for Rutgers this year? 
Um, me personally, I've kind of been on the train of just get the six wins, and I have predicted that they were going to get six wins since pretty much like the off season, and I still think that um, because I mean, like you said, the November schedule, it's ugly. It, it gets real ugly. You got Ohio State at home, and then you're at Iowa, and then you're at Penn State, and then you're at home against Maryland to close it out. That's not easy. So these two games are going to be huge. Iowa, I don't want to say they could be a win because they're still tremendous defensively, but I mean, their offense does not look any better and they lost Cade McNamara. So that could potentially be a toss up depending on how Deacon Hill does. But yeah, I've basically been on the train of let's get the six wins and I think they will get the six wins. So after that, it's like, it would be nice to see them. I want to see them at least be competitive for a little bit in, in every single remaining game. But as long as they get the six wins, I'll be happy with where they've gone. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, I, I guess this is a question I, I have a little more interest in generally. This isn't specific to this season. But, you know, because if Michigan State, you know, if Michigan State fucks up here, um, you know, no offense, but we could definitely be um, kind of in the, in, the, in the Rutgers tier of the new Big Ten. So I guess, like, where do you, like, how do you, how do you do it? <laughs> Yes, is is the question. How have you done it? You know, how have you been able to kind of come back week after week, year after year, um, with with you know, I'm a lot. I, listen, I'm a, I'm a Detroit Lions fan, and and I even I don't get it. So I guess I guess that's an anthropological question. I'm more I'm more interested in generally. Uh it's not. It was not easy. It was not easy. taking the lumps that we did after first getting to the Big Ten conference. It was not easy. You know, they started out really strong. Uh, the first couple of seasons were pretty good. You know, you get to eight wins your first season in the Big Ten. That's, that's a success. 2015 took a bit of a step back, but I'm sure, as you know, you know, Rutgers almost took down Michigan State in that game. Yep. They looked pretty good. But then towards the end of that season, things kind of fell apart. Uh, they kind of did an overhaul of pretty much every uh, – all the big, big name sports at least. You know, Eddie Jordan got fired in March of that year, and then in December they fired – uh, Julie Herman and Kyle Flood, the AD and football coach. So things were supposed to get a bit of a fresh start. And for the most part, it worked. I mean, obviously, Steve Peichel has been a home run hire. Uh, Pat, Pat, Pat Hobbs has done great work as the athletic director. But the big mistake was Chris Ash. And that was apparent almost immediately because I, it was just it was a disaster. It wasn't easy. I'll tell you that it was not easy. But getting Greg Schiano back, he's just preached his vision and that, you know, he's done it before. He can do it again. The entire time so it's like kind of have no choice but to believe in him because he has that experience doing it at Rutgers but the ash years it was not good it was it was not easy to stay engaged but now that Greg Schiano's back you know he's selling us on the vision and I think he's at the very least right now I think he's bringing it uh, to the table so now it's just a matter of where can he go from here because it seems like you know they're close to just being like a regular you know average Big Ten team and that's that's Kind of a lot of what Rutgers fans want instead of being, you know, the doormat and the laughing stock of the entire country, just be in contention for things like, you know, go go win seven or eight games every year, maybe pull a shocking upset, you know, maybe just beat Purdue under Jeff Brom, what what they were, you know, seven, eight games a year you win and then you know, pull a shocker against Ohio State every so often. That's kind of like the target for where Rutgers can be in the Big Ten. And I think they're making momentum towards that. Gotcha. And, and you know, I, I guess like, you know, the, the, the Big East football conference, you know, I think is along with the Pac-12, I think was just one of the most unfortunate victims of, of realignment. And, and, you know, like, I guess like 
in this Big Ten era, who does Rutgers kind of perceive as a rival? Right, because you don't have like the you don't have the the rivalries from the Big East didn't carry over, obviously. So, like, who are you? Who who is like Rutgers' chief rival? Honestly, it kind of depends who you ask. If you ask those guys up in Chicago in the conference offices, they'll say Maryland. They're really trying to make it a thing. We only have one protected rival in in the new scheduling, and it's Maryland. So they're really trying to make it a thing because you know it's the closest school to Rutgers and join the conference at the same time. So they're trying to really be like, you know, it's the new guys against each other, that kind of thing. So if you ask the Big Ten office, it would be Maryland. If you ask students, it's Penn State, although I don't necessarily agree um, because Penn State, A, beats us all the time. B, doesn't even think about us in football. So that's kind of out the window. It's really been tough. It feels like, I don't know, at least in football, it feels like Michigan State's kind of been a rivalry, but mostly that just came from the fact that Mel Tucker decided to you know, use the same phrase Shiano had started using in 2005. Um, but I don't, in all sports, it's kind of Indiana because Indiana was Indiana fans were one of the loudest proponents of kicking Rutgers out of the conference. And then that came that, you know, three, four year stretch where they could not be Rutgers in any sports. So that kind of sparked a rivalry on its own. So it's kind of just depending on who you ask. Interesting. I mean, you know, that's something I never really think of either because, you know, for better or worse, you know, my rivalries have kind of been set in stone at, at, at both levels, right? It's always fuck the Packers, fuck the Bears, fuck Michigan, you know, fuck Ohio State, but that's more of a begrudging, like, you know, if you want to get to Indy, you have to go through them kind of thing. But, you know, I've never really had to, I've never really been, one of my teams has never been really out in the wilderness of, of kind of, of kind of MSU fans that that Rutgers fans are so that's an interesting perspective so um I want to ask about Gavin Wimsat your quarterback um you know he is a guy who um one has a great head of hair under the helmet I mean just the you know the the his look will always play for me I'll, I'll just say that off the top and two you know I I kind of I was able to watch a little bit of the Wisconsin game not a ton um but it seems like he does not do very well um, when he's is sitting in the pocket. He seems to thrive in chaos. Is that an accurate assessment? I would say it's a little bit accurate, I guess. It, it definitely feels like he's better when things are starting to break down. He's able to get himself into space and you know try to make a play with his arm or his legs. Um, I think the biggest reason why he kind of struggles to stay in the pocket is because flat out his accuracy is just it's it's his, probably his biggest weakness. You know, he struggles to just place the ball well, especially you know over the middle when he needs to have touch. Those are the things he struggles the most in. So it's probably most apparent when he's just sitting in the pocket and throwing without you know pressure in his face. Um, so Kirk Shirock has definitely tried to make his life easier by doing a lot of you know underneath routes, a lot of over the not not exactly over the middle, but you know get guys outside, just give him easy throws to make and see if he can hit them. Wisconsin, it was definitely, it felt like it was a little bit windy out there. I wasn't at the game, but it seemed like it was a little bit windy out there. and He was just missing targets. But it definitely seems like he's at his best when it's a option slash RPO heavy scheme where he can make plays and get into space. That seems like where he you know looks the best. It feels like, honestly, he, he has a great arm regardless, but it feels like his throw on the run power is one of the better ones that I've seen. And granted, for Rutgers quarterbacks, there's not a very high bar to clear, but it seems like he has a lot of talent in that. Yeah, no, it, 
Absolutely. I would, I would tend to agree there. He definitely, once he's able to kind of get on a naked boot, I think is when he's the most dangerous, when he's able to kind of roll out, be able to kind of see the field and and then he can kind of make a decision. Um, You know, I, I guess, I guess kind of, you know, you're, the floor is yours to ask anything about Michigan state that you want. So uh, go ahead. I, I have a lot of things to say, obviously. <laughs> um, if you follow Bacon Wire on Twitter during game days, but you know, it, you know, anything you want to know about MSU shoot, I'll be happy to, I'll be happy to provide insight. Uh, first, I guess I, the elephant in the room, I guess what's on the, on the fallout of everything that's gone on the past, I guess, month and a half or so. What's the general vibe around the program like right now? Um, they could not be worse. <laughs> um, listen, I it's really it's really frustrating because you know, of all fucking people, Tom Mars, who I don't know if people outside of these Michigan Michigan State fan bases know who Tom Mars is, but he he's an attorney in Michigan. Um, he basically represented the players in the, he represented the Michigan players involved in the tunnel in the tunnel fight. Um, he has a lot of thoughts about Michigan State. Um, not all of them good, but the blind squirrel found a nut, and he brought up a good point. Uh, the shame is right in a. The closest you can compare this scandal to is Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss, right? I think that's the closest analog you can make. This is worse than what Hugh Freeze did. I will, I'll say that. Um, just optically and both like morally, it, it's worse. Um, but you know, the administration went to Hugh Freeze. I'm assuming they did the same. I'm assuming Alan Holly went to Mel Tucker and said, "Look, you can resign, or we have enough to fire you with cause." And resigning saved Hugh Freeze's career. He was able to rehab his image at Liberty and now he's back in a power five job. It, it's pretty clear that Mel Tucker is intent on never coaching again, <laughs> just based on the approach he's taking and how, and the way he's choosing to fight this, this firing. And, and it's, it's causing a lot of, it's causing a lot of drama around the program. And, and it's really unfortunate because the kids don't deserve it. Um, yeah, exactly. That that's that's in my view that's the biggest losers of this whole thing are you know the players themselves because I mean they didn't ask for this to happen to them they didn't they didn't want this to happen at all so it yeah it really does I mean I really do feel for them so they've moved on from Tucker now they have Harlan Bennett as the interim coach how do you think he's done so far since he's taken over? Um, if I degrade him. I'd probably give him a D, and in here's why. You look, they were never going to be Washington, even if the even if the whole thing didn't come out, and Mel Tucker was still head coach, and there was stability in the program. That Washington game was going to go the way the Washington game went. They're a buzzsaw. You know, I'm the voter for the for the for the big banter ballot. I've had Washington at number one in the country for most of the season. I think that I think if they beat Oregon, I think a lot of people will will kind of see the vision with me. Okay, one of, I, I'm not the only one that has them in the top three. That's good to know. Yeah, no, I think they're one of they. I, 
you know, I, I've seen a lot of people compare them to 2019 LSU. Um, I think their defense is a little weaker than 2019 LSU's team. I think that might, I think that might end up biting them here. You know, if it's not this week, it's going to be, it's going to be it down the road, but no, that, that offense is unbelievable. Um, but you know, it, they've just, they made per- bad personnel decisions to start the season and they have doubled down on the doubled and tripled down on those personnel decisions. And that's doing more harm than good at this point. And, you know, they don't really care. They're not going to be here next year anyway. So there's really no incentive to like, to like break a kid's heart and do what's best for the short and long term of a program. You're not going to be, you're not going to be employed by, why do they care? So, you know, ultimately like Harlan was the right guy for the job. He deeply cares about Michigan state. Um, you know, if if his tenure at Florida State had gone differently, he probably would have been had D'Antonio probably would have held on for a couple more years and it would have handed off to Harlan. Um, at least that's what D'Antonio wanted. Um, but yeah, the doubling down on the on the personnel decisions that were wrong for the jump have not helped. So you mentioned some of those personnel decisions. So it seems like nobody seemed well, people know, but nobody is publicly knowing who's gonna go at quarterback the probably the most important one it seems like the consensus is everyone kind of feels like it's going to be uh Kaden, uh what's uh Kaden hauser yeah Kaden hauser that's his name yeah sorry it escaped me for a second so it seems like people kind of know it's going to be Kaden hauser but bennett and his staff don't really want to reveal it just for the sake of competitive advantage which i have plenty of experience with gray shano always wants to get a competitive advantage never tells anyone anything so is that what the consensus kind of is that Noah Kim is done as the starter and Hauser's going to take over? So people in the know that seems to be the the consensus right now is that is that they're going to move forward with Kaden Hauser. And again, I don't trust this staff as far as I can throw them. Um, I've talked about this, you know, in our in our discussion when it was just when it was just you know the the Bacon Wire guys talking about it. I. I I am opti- I am cautiously optimistic that they finally made made the good decision, and you know unfortunately like it's not all Noah Kim's fault that the season's going the way it's going. Um, they've been put in bad positions by their coaches, and ultimately like the kids have to answer for that, which is a shame. But it, it's just been very clear since they started playing Power Five competition that Noah Kim is not is not a viable option as, as a quarterback. He, you know, it's, he did well against central Michigan and against Richmond, but you know, that's probably the level he should be at if we're keeping it between you and me. And it's just, it's just a shame that, you know, they, they've kept him out there and kind of wrecked his confidence and are now publicly benching him um, in the most excruciating way possible, in my opinion. And, you know, that's, that's the, that's the shame of it. And the staff again, failing these kids. And I guess if we talk more about, you know, broad in general. So Michigan State obviously has to hire a coach in the offseason, whether it's Bennett, whether it's someone else. Who would you want in the dream scenario Michigan State to hire for full time? So I don't know if you've been paying attention to Michigan State Twitter, Alex, but there's there's been rumblings. There's been rumblings. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I have. I have banned discussion of this from Bacon Wire, uh, but 
you know, because this is going on what's chopping as well, I, I guess I can kind of give myself an exemption here. Um, there's been some rumblings about Urban Meyer. And, you know, honestly, like, I've kind of outlined the positive and negatives uh, of an Urban Meyer of an Urban Meyer tenure at Michigan State, uh, but he he's definitely on my list. I mean, I don't I can't see how he wouldn't be if on anyone's list, honestly. Um, but outside of him, um, I really like Mike Elko at Duke. Um, I think I I'm interested to see what he does now that Riley Leonard is kind of going to be down for an extended period of time. Uh, to see how he adapts, and that's going to tell a lot about what kind of coach he is and how he's able to kind of, how he's kind of capable to answer to different situations. Um, I also really love Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. It's going to be tough because, you know, it's his alma mater, so it, it, you really don't know like how he's going to respond to that. But you know, Oregon State is one of the unfortunate victims of. Um, one of the more unfortunate victims of realignment. So if they're going to be kind of competing in the mountain West, you know, it's really going to, I think that's really going to test his loyalty and we can kind of see him move on and, and take over another state school, which would be cool. Um, but those are my top three right now. There, there is one name that I've seen pop up at some points that it seems like Michigan state fans are united against a friend of mine from the Rutgers side but it out as a possibility, and he got ratioed to oblivion by Michigan State fans. Uh, how, on a scale of never to also never, uh, how out are you on Michigan State potentially hiring Pat Narduzzi from Pitt? I would, I would storm the football building. <laughs> I would, I would. There are there are a lot of things that that I might be pushed to do if Michigan State hired Pat Narduzzi that I cannot speak aloud, especially on a recorded medium. Listen, people are floating Pat Narduzzi because one, that one, they were, they were working the Michigan State beat when he was here as defensive coordinator and they like him and they want him to get the Michigan State job because they want access. And two, they're lazy. They don't pay attention. And they just go, oh, he was at Michigan State. He can come home, right? Here's the thing with Pat Narduzzi, okay? There was an opening three years ago at this, at this school, and he was not even interviewed. That's, that's the facts. He was not even considered a viable candidate in, in 2020. And that was when he kind of earned himself a reputation as a giant slayer. Right? Like he beat those, he, he beat those 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 Clemson teams with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, and and he kind of put Pitt kind of back on the map a little bit. And even then, he wasn't considered for the job. Now he's coming off back to back. He he had a disappointing season last year. This season is a fucking disaster. He has a comment. He put up a comment box. I don't know if you saw this. He put up a comment box in the front of the building. Uh, for for players to put in their negative thoughts, so I really Pat Narduzzi I think would would set the program back fifteen years. Wow! All right. Well, I I, that, that I was very curious about this, so it's it's very good that I got a gauge on that. So, yeah, I mean, Urban Meyer would be really I I think someone I think the report of him being interested might have gotten like 
disputed. I don't know how accurate that was. But, I mean, yeah, the, the pros and cons are pretty clear. The pros are he's a damn good football coach. He He's won everywhere he's went. The cons are he is an extreme flight risk, and it would be a PR nuclear bomb if they hired him. See, here's the thing. I'm not really – and I said this last week on the episode when we had when we got it all out of our system. <laughs> See, I'm not really interested in, in doing things because it's going to grant Michigan State positive or negative PR for – especially on the local beat. Um, you know, a lot of people in the Big Ten don't really understand what this is like because they don't have the other they don't have another in-state program to kind of to kind of look at. Um, but the the Michigan the the perception of Michigan State, I think, is not gonna change if we hire a choir boy. And it's it it's really not gonna get any worse if we hire Urban Meyer. So you know, I just want to see a decision made because this person is the right man for the job and can get MSU, you know, to where it wants to be and not that, like, he's going to be a good upstanding man because that was part of the perception that 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 uh, that got Mel Tucker hired and look how that turned out. So, you know, at least you know what you're getting with Urban and at least, you know, depending on who you ask, Shelly is also down to clown, so. <laughs> that's that's my thing with with urban you know my biggest thing is that my biggest um concerns with urban are that his heart sucks he has one of the worst you know he basically has he basically has a ticking time bomb in his chest and this is going to be one of his more one of his most extensive rebuilds probably his most extensive rebuild since utah you know it's not something he He's had to do in a while. Um, I think the NIL stuff is overblown because he was doing NIL before NIL was legal. So, you know, it's fine. But uh, yeah, that, you know, urban, it is what it is, you know, but there's definitely other candidates out there that are currently coaches that, that wouldn't, you know, invoke um, fire from the national media. Yeah, so that's kind of all I got in terms of a Nash or a, a broader scale for Michigan State. So I guess we can talk a little bit more about this weekend's game. Uh, it's going to be a big one, homecoming. In case you did not know, uh, our entire 2024 commit class is showing up. Actually, mine is Dylan Grant, who couldn't come because of uh, scheduling conflict, I believe. But Ace Bailey is going to be on campus, Bryce Dorch and Lathan Somerville, as well as uh, one guy that you may be familiar with from the home state of Michigan, Trey McKinney, a five-star in 2025 as well as, of course, Dylan Harper, the well-known five-star in 2024. So it's a big weekend for Rutgers. They kind of have to win this game for basketball and football purposes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I did not know that, that, that they were, that this was going to be a big recruiting weekend for them. That's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, no, I, look, for Michigan State, is just as an important of a win because, you know, we went, I went over it previously, but this game can be the difference between bowl eligibility and three and nine for, for MSU. And, you know, there's really not going to be any kind of middle here. So I, you know, their backs are against the wall. They, it took them a long time, but they finally made the right decision. And I'm interested to see how they move forward. Yeah. So with that coming up on Saturday, I guess we can make some of our predictions, what we think will happen, what we think we'll see. So I guess first question is, 
What do you think is going to be the biggest key to a Michigan State win that I can give mine for Rutgers? Um, to me, the biggest key for a Michigan State win is you got to keep you got to keep Gavin Wimsat in front of you, right? You got to be able you got to be able to make him make the play in structure, right? And you know if if you allow him to kind of get out, scramble, um, kind of get on his feet, cause the play to break down. Um, that's just not going to be a winning formula for you. Um, but, you know, if you let him sit in the pocket, read the field, you know, you might be able to kind of read him. You know, you might be able to make a break on a route because you're look because he's kind of staring someone down. Or he might just he might just overthink it and over or under throw because he's like, I'm used to kind of being out out and about and kind of scrambling. So I think that's the important thing is is you know. No pressure, I think, on Gabbert Wimsat is a little better than than pressure, right? Keeping him from escaping the pocket is going to be the biggest key for Michigan State in this game. I think, I think for Rutgers, it's I guess I'll go one on offense, one on defense because I'm kind of torn which one is bigger. For offense, it's going to be getting the run game back on track. They struggled again against uh, Wisconsin. Really could not get it going. Kamenaga got eight carries. Gavin Wimsat led the team in rushing again. I believe he had like forty something yards. So. Establishing the run game again with Kyle Manungai and maybe Sam Brown. Honestly, I don't know what to expect from Sam Brown because it feels like he's still dealing with that, either the same foot injury or maybe a different one that he dealt with last year. And it's kind of day by day of how it goes with him. That's what it seems like to me, at least. So getting that run game going is going to be big. They have the guys to do it. I mean, we, I mean, granted, it was Wagner, an FCS opponent, a bad FCS opponent. But, I mean, we saw everyone on the field, you know. Kalmanungai got carries. Sam Brown got carries. Deshaun Benjamin, the true freshman, got carries. Aaron Young, the senior, got carries. So it's going to be a collective effort for all four of them to you know, get this run game going. And on defense, I think it's going to be you know get pressure on the quarterback and enforce mistakes, obviously, win the turnover battle. It's pretty self-explanatory. You know, if you win the turnover battle, get short fields for your offense, you win the game. And Like I said, Greg Shiano loves preaching the ball is the program. So I think those are my two biggest keys for a Rutgers win, in my, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, no, I and you know I would tend to agree with you. You know, depending on who starts on Saturday, um, like I said, I don't trust the staff. So you could very well get Noah Kim out there on Saturday, and he's been turnover prone against Power Five competition. So um, definitely, definitely, the turnover battle is going to be important. Um, I guess my final my final thought here um, is. I don't know what my final thought is, actually. I just, I just, I just blanked. Um, you know, I, I guess um, my final question for you, Alec, is 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 this um, with the Big Ten, with these new teams coming into the Big Ten? Do you expect a shift in expectations one way or the other for Rutgers? Ah, uh, hmm. it's tough because the schedule definitely gets easier. The 2024 schedule got a huge boost from the the changing of it. Uh, they went from having to play the entire Big Ten East and then swap Indiana with UCLA. So thankfully that's out. They don't play Michigan State, Mich- uh, Ohio State, or Penn State in 2024. It's tough to it's tough to gauge where the expectations will be because they're bringing in four really good programs. Like we're seeing this year, you know, USC, Oregon, and Washington are all top ten teams, and UCLA is kind of creeping on the edge of that you know top 25 status. 
So it's tough to say. I think expectations will rise as just a being a, you know, getting to that seven or eight wins every year as like the goal because they don't have a guaranteed three losses on their schedule every year. Now they'll still play really good teams, but it's not like, you know, years past where it's set in stone. All right, you got to go against Ohio State. You got to go against Michigan. You got to go against Penn State. All right, that's three losses already on the schedule. Now we got nine games to work with that could go either way. So it's it's tough to gauge where the expectations will be, but I think it's going to be continue to grow as a program and you know, just be a good, you know, above a, an average to good Big Ten team year in, year out. I think that's the expectation in general. No, absolutely. You know, I think um, MSU also lucked out with their 2024 schedule. Um, they do have to go to Eugene, but, you know, you look otherwise, I think, I think avoiding the other three newcomers and get, getting the lion's share of the old Big Ten West, um, I think is the best situation that you can, that you can put a new coach in, I think, moving forward. So um, I'm definitely, um, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking forward um, to Saturday out of out of a morbid curiosity, <laughs> um, uh, and I'm looking forward to the future. Alec, thank you for sitting down with me and discussing. Man, it's been great. Um, you know, we can. You want to plug each other real quick? Yeah, sure. And I, although I guess before we go, we should probably ask each other for score predictions for Saturday first. Yeah. Ooh, I'm not in the prediction game. Um, I don't know. I. See, so much is up in the air. I if Hauser starts, see, here's here's what's gonna happen. And and no offense to you, but MSU's gonna win by Hauser's gonna start, MSU's gonna win by 10. The naivete of the fan base is gonna be at an all-time high going into Michigan. And then we're just gonna get curb stopped, and then the game's gonna get called because some walk on like shivs Blake Corm or something. It's just, it's going to get really stupid. So like it, if Hauser starts, I'll go, I'll go MSU by 10. All right. I say, I guess if we're going on to the expectation that Hauser starts, I think I'll go with 24 to 20 Rutgers. I think Rutgers holds the ball long enough that they can just, you know, it's going to be close, but they can just edge him out. So I think that's what I, that's, that's my prediction for Saturday on what, what's going to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Both of those things are equally likely. <laughs> it's just, it's who knows. Uh, Alec, where can the people find you? Uh, so for the What's Chopping podcast, you can find us on all podcasting platforms at What's Chop at the What's Chopping podcast. That includes Spotify, uh, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube, all that fun stuff. Uh, and then for me personally, uh, my Twitter is at AlecCR12. So if you want to follow me for a bunch of Rutgers stuff there, Definitely, definitely. I, I, I post a lot of Rutgers stuff, maybe too much, but you know, uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's where you can find me. Where can that, uh, where can we all find you? Yeah. So bacon wire again, wherever you find podcasts, um, we, uh, we are on Twitter at bacon wire. I live tweet every football and basketball game. Um, our, my co-host Lucas will jump in sometimes as well. Um, you can definitely tell who's tweeting because there is a definite style um, you can find me at Spartan Dog 97. I also tweet about MSU. I tweet about the Lions. Oh, I have my final thought. Um, when you came on, your Google Meet logo was a Seahawks helmet. What's what's the deal with that? Uh yeah, so yeah, I'm from New Jersey, not from Seattle. I've been there once. Great, great time. But so my uncle used to live in Seattle, uh, and my dad would always bring me that because it's like cool stuff when I was a little kid. 
And that's kind of how it just, you know, when you're like, when you're like 10 years old, when you're like nine or 10 years old, it's like not a lot goes through your head when you're choosing sports teams. It's just like, oh, my parents like this team or, oh, this team's close to me or, you know, wow, this team looks cool. So that's kind of how my origin story started. And people are going to call me a bandwagon, but it kind of coincided when they started winning. Like, I think my first year of actually like liking the team was Pete Carroll's first year. So it helps. It's it's definitely helps. But yeah, that's that's kind of my start as a Seahawks fan. Yeah, um, you know, there, there's been an interesting kind of rivalry emerging between the Seahawks and, and the Lions here as both are kind of the Seahawks reascending the ranks of the NFC and the Lions ascending. Um, there's been some there's been some good games between them the last couple of years here. Um, but before I got distracted, I'm on Twitter at SpartanDog97, tweet about the Lions and, and MSU and, you know, Bacon Wire, wherever you can find podcasts. Uh, thanks for sitting down with me, Alec. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great time. And, uh, yeah, let's hope for a good game on Saturday. Absolutely.